Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast, a place for you to be curious about your biology and discover new ways to upgrade and optimize your mind, body, and human performance. The guests on this podcast are trained experts in the fields of functional health, holistic wellness, and biohacking who share my passion to provide useful and actionable information with all of you that I hope will help you to live your best life. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm excited to get curious together. Today, I'm talking with fellow health scientist, Sean Wells, who has a unique background in the field of performance nutrition and supplementation. Sean has his master's degree in nutritional biochemistry with a minor in exercise science, and he served as a chief clinical dietitian for 10 years in acute care nursing before becoming a certified sports nutritionist through the ISSN and then diving full force into the world of formulation science. And now Sean spends most of his time traveling around the world sharing his knowledge about nutrition science and biohacking. So I'm really grateful that he was able to take the time to come on this podcast and share his valuable knowledge with all of us. On the episode, we talk about why keto may be the one diet that is actually worth sticking to, the benefits of being fat adapted, why the lack of ketone intolerance is the key for endless energy, the two most important biomarkers that can easily show us our health status, the problem with modern farming, the food industry, and high bliss point foods, how our healthcare system is actually making us more sick, the power of touch, and why self-care is the best medicine of all. So strap in because this is going to be a really fun and action-filled episode of the BioCurious podcast that I really hope that you all will enjoy as much as I did. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the BioCurious podcast today. Can you start by telling us about your story and how you became a keto-loving, biohacking, nutrition science expert? Yeah, so I was uh, in school at uh, Babson Business Specialty uh, College, um, going to school for marketing, information systems, and um, I started getting passionate about working out and taking supplements, and I went to my uh, my doctor to get a physical in between my sophomore and junior year. And my doctor drew out this lifeline for me because he saw me like super excited about, uh, how, like about nutrition and supplements. And he could just tell, like I was lighting up about that. And he drew out this lifeline and he, and he wrote 20 to 80. And he's like, cause I was 20 at the time. He said, why not be happy between here and here? And it's crazy, like this one guy like totally changed my life path. And I started looking into what it would take to get my master's in nutrition, specifically nutritional biochemistry, get my RD, uh, registered dietitian, all that kind of stuff. And that's exactly what I did. I finished up business school. I still use the the marketing heavily, like with uh, formulations and things like that. Um, but I ended up getting my master's at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, becoming a registered dietitian and then a, a chief clinical dietitian for about 10 years. And 
All the while, I also got uh, to become a certified sports nutritionist through the ISSN and work with them on uh, studies, on their uh, journal, on all kinds of cool stuff. I'm a fellow through the ISSN. But while I was working as a registered dietitian, uh, all the while I was uh, just obsessed with supplements. I was working at GNCs and stores like that. And, and at night on the weekends, every holiday, I was working on formulations for companies. I was uh, helping them with their marketing. I was on message boards. I was going to the Olympia and the Arnold and um, just building my name. And um, eventually I got picked up by Dimatize, became their director of R&D doing formulations there, helping them get acquired to post. I did hundreds of formulations. We also like worked on Vitamin Shop, Smoothie King, GNC, Advocare, did a bunch of stuff there. And while I was at uh, Dimatize, I also uh, came up with um, T-Cream with two partners, uh, Dr. Hector Lopez and Tim Ziegenfuss. And that was my first branded ingredient that uh, became very popular. Um, it's in about 400 products. It's an energy ingredient. And we did a follow-up called Dynamine as well. And uh, then I got hired on by, by Biotrust. Um, and they became one of the, the biggest supplement companies in the world for uh, direct online sales. Um, and, you know, did a ton of products there. Um, and I continue to help all kinds of companies do formulations. I continue to patent uh, novel ingredients with a team that I work with. And I'm just all over the world talking about, I also am on stages talking about biohacking and keto. Um, uh, I do a weekly radio show nationally. Uh, I do podcasts all the time and I'm really happy to do yours. And uh, yeah, things just continue to go well for me. But the keto thing is just a huge just area of passion. It's not really like a, mm -hmm. a money maker. I've actually been doing keto for about 20 years. Uh, and oh, I started, wow. yeah, I started <laughs> looking into it because my, I, I have autoimmune conditions and I was dealing with Epstein-Barr, um, Hashimoto's, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and it, it actually helped me tremendously. And, and actually shortly thereafter, I ended up getting a um, pituitary adenoma, which is what they'd call like a benign brain tumor, but it secretes prolactin and creates havoc in your body. And I was getting bad headaches. I was getting skinny fat, depressed, like, uh, and bad sleep, like the, the pituitary's critical for so many things. Um, and again, uh, keto, you know, to the rescue, like, and that's why I've been managing my autoimmune issues, managing this pituitary uh, adenoma with, with keto. Yeah. The concepts around the keto diet to be really, really beneficial and helpful for me. I'm a competitive athlete in um, running and biking and specifically I do duathlons and the, the keto diet. Um, I'm not like a diehard testing my ketones every day, but just following those simple 
guidelines of getting high quality fats as my top priority have really changed my athletic performance for the better. And um, not only that, but like my, my brain health and my, the way that I'm able to show up at work and in school is, has been completely changed by keto guidelines. So I completely agree with you there. Exactly. And, and endurance athletes in particular really benefit from keto. If you look at Zach Bitter and him breaking so many records, uh, because we have probably about 100,000 calories, even if you're like a lean 10% body fat athlete, you have about 100,000 calories stored on you in body fat. You have about 1,000 yeah. to 2,000 calories stored on you in glycogen and glucose. So it's obviously better if you're an endurance athlete to become fat adapted and become more efficient at using that fuel and totally agree on the level of alertness, um, especially when you mix keto with fasting Mm -hmm. and, you know, satiety uh, improves dramatically, which is just appetite regulation. Um, You feel like so much more clarity because if we get to glucose intolerance, mm-hmm. insulin uh, insufficiency, then we are in a state of insufficient cellular energy, which is ice. And it's very common for most people to be borderline diabetic, borderline metabolic syndrome. And all of these uh, situations, like my uh, um, autoimmunity, like cancer, like, like diabetes, like obesity, like pretty much Parkinson's, like any disease that you can come up with, including aging, actually tracks back to mitochondrial dysfunction and insufficient cellular energy states. And then from there, once you're in an insufficient cellular energy state, then you get into glycation, which is blood sugar damage, you get into inflammation, oxidation, and all these become markers of disease and aging, Um, which is why I think it's really important that everyone looks at two specific uh, markers, probably quarterly, and I wish like this would change in in healthcare is that we looked at CRP, C-reactive protein, as a marker of systemic inflammation. And then we looked at hemoglobin A1C as a marker for uh, blood sugar levels and therefore glycation blood sugar damage. If we looked at those, we would know our health status very easily. I really feel like those are the two most important labs. And we could tell how you're aging, your chance for any disease risk, and yet no one's really looking at those unless you're a diabetic, unless you have some high inflammation condition and it's already, you know, too late in the, in the disease uh, progression pathology. So that's kind of frustrating, but going back to cellular energy states, there's often not enough uh, glucose because of the glucose intolerance to create ATP, the energy. But there isn't situations like that with ketones. There isn't like a ketone intolerance. So that's why like people get turned on, like you're saying, like the, the, the switch gets flipped. They feel all this energy because they've been in a situation 
either because they're getting drained of their energy from autoimmunity and inflammation and all these kinds of things, or because of that glucose intolerance with metabolic syndrome, diabetes, et cetera. And then here comes ketones and boom, energy. It's like you get all this energy back again and people don't know what to do with that. It's, it's, that's why like keto is being billed as like this miracle diet. It kind of is. It kind of fixes the malfunction uh, with so many conditions. That's why so many people are loving it. It's not just weight loss. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people ask me about the keto diet specifically for weight loss. Mm-hmm. And my advice is always, I actually don't think that it's necessarily the best method for weight loss, but I do think that it is a very, very important tool in your toolkit to get to a state of high performance. And to get there, you have to be healthy. And so, um, like you said, getting your body to be fat adapted instead of um, relying on glucose for energy is really one of the most important and impactful things that you can do. And so a lot of times people will ask me, you know, what are your favorite biohacks? And I never have to think about it. My two favorite biohacks that are the most impactful for me and that I've been doing on and off for the past five years have been intermittent fasting and having fat in my coffee instead of breakfast. And hands down, those are the two most impactful things that I will probably never stop doing. Uh, Agreed. And I'm not like, and you know, most people think as I do keto that I'm Mm anti-carb. That's not really the case. Like, I just think you have to, one, carbs aren't necessary. Two, you just need to earn your carbs. If you're active, you can have carbs. If you're sedentary, don't have carbs. But so many people are kind of, uh, for lack of a better term and more of a tech term, metabolically damaged because they have metabolic syndrome that they really benefit from from keto again because um, they've been having high bliss point foods, which just means ultra processed foods that override your appetite, your satiety signals. Think of like... French fries that are salty, crispy, oily, sweet, you know, like all this kind of stuff, right? Like so many of our foods, foods like that don't exist in nature. They've been highly engineered so that we overeat them, right? Like if you had like a handful of nuts, you'd only eat, you know, five or 10 of them, let's say almonds. But then when they get roasted, maybe you'll eat a little bit more. Then when you add oil to them, and then add salt to them. You're going to eat a little bit more. Then you add like a honey flavor to them. Then you're going to eat more. Then it's honey habanero. Then you eat more. You know, and it's like these foods just don't exist in nature and everything's been engineered so you keep eating. And keto is going to help you, again, reduce inflammation, reduce glycation, reduce mitochondrial dysfunction, is going to help with your appetite regulation, and therefore it's going to help with um, you being able to, you know, push back some of these foods, especially if you're doing fasting, that really creates a lot of willpower um, around 
the dopamine response, the reward center response, like that so many people get, like that really lights up those centers. Uh, when you have these, these, that's literally why they call them bliss point foods, because for a minute, like it really lights up your brain, like, like drugs do like cocaine and things like that. Um, so people can be addicted to these foods. And that's why when you walk in a convenience store and you see all these colorful wrappers and liquids and everything by the register and you're overwhelmed like with your senses and that's what it's there for. Everything's engineered to break your will down and make you buy and make you obese and sick. Yeah, that is such a, a relevant and unique viewpoint that I wish more people were sharing because I've actually never heard anybody put it quite like that, but you're exactly right. It's that we have come to expect food to have all the, all the different types of tastes in one bite, salty, sweet, sour, savory. And we want it, we want every bite to be overwhelmingly powerfully flavorful. And that just does not exist in nature. And so no, no wonder that we overeat or, you know, people sit down to a bag of potato chips and before they even realize it, they've eaten the whole thing. And it's, it's exactly what you pointed out. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And it's no wonder that we're all overeating. And then even worse, those are all GMO foods that are covered with glyphosate that have xenoestrogens that, you know, so not only is it ultra processed in a way that makes us obese, it's actually breaking down our health in other ways too. Like glyphosate is, you know, the, the infamous roundup that's put all over the crops. Uh, in particular, the, the two GMO grains that are, that are so popular in our food supply, soy and corn, and, and what do you get with soy and corn? You get maltodextrin, you get soybean oil, corn oil. And what are those? Those increase your blood sugar dramatically. Those increase inflammation dramatically. We were led to believe that maltodextrin's better than sugar. We were led to believe that vegetable oils are healthier because they come from vegetables, healthier than butter and all these other things like margarine. Why were we led to believe that? Because they're so much cheaper. And there was people that stood to make a lot of money. And luckily, you know, people like you and I talking, it's kind of dispelling some of those myths. But unfortunately, there's still people that believe in the cholesterol farce, the, the saturated fat myth, the, uh, the sodium lies, like all that stuff is just, it's a it's a farce and butter is healthier than margarine and um you know vegetable oils are highly processed and just terrible for you like canola oil mm -hmm. we're always told that's super healthy it's not and like even if you go on whole foods and all these places it's in like all of their foods and canola oil is is known as rapeseed oil and basically they process it under such high heat that it gets rancid and discolored, oxidized, and then they have to bleach it and deodorize it because it's so nasty in terms of its color and smell, and then they serve it to you. 
and that's your canola oil. And you know, that's in our food supply. And, and we wonder why, again, we're, we're overeating and we're obese and we're sick. And it's because we've gotten away from whole foods. Yeah. I think one of the most important concepts in nutrition and actually that I'm studying in my um, functional nutrition PhD program right now is, is really getting away from the idea of diets in general, which I've always thought, you know, diets really set you up for failure because they're temporary, right? It's a diet. It's something that you're going to do for a period of time for a specific reason, but you're not going to continue doing it forever. And if, if it's not healthy enough for you to adapt as a lifestyle, then why do it at all? But that combined with the total degeneration of our American food supply and largely in the world, but here it's the worst. And so those two things combined really set people up for failure and confuses people on what they're supposed to be doing. So coming from, you know, a a science background, being a registered dietitian, you're also a biochemist, you've worked in, in formulating supplements for many years. Um, And then you also have like a sports medicine background, combined with your personal passion of biohacking. What do you think are the most important nutritional concepts that every single person should follow or at least be aware of when they're making food choices. Yeah. So here's, here's the bomb to drop to your point about uh, diets. And I get frustrated when keto gets called the new fad diet Mm -hmm. because keto should mean, I get it with nutritional, uh, the nutritional ketogenic diet This you know, fitting certain macros, let's say 70 to 80% fat and all this kind of stuff okay, maybe that's a newer diet, quote unquote. But keto, if we're referring to raising ketones, that's not new. That's been around since the beginning of when we came around and in most animal species. So when we, when we were eating foods, let's say even carbohydrates, uh, back in our paleo or primal days or ancestral, whatever you want to call it, and we picked up a tuber like, like a potato, and it was raw, and we ate it because back then we weren't cooking them. It's a resistant starch. That would have been keto. If we ate a green banana because we were hungry and not everything's ripe in reality, it's a resistant starch, and we would have been keto. And we would have had to work to get food, whether it was you know reaching, you know, climbing a tree or chasing down an animal. That might put you into a state of ketosis where you're in a caloric deficit. Maybe we go several days without eating because there just isn't food around. We weren't able to carry the food with us. We weren't able to kill that animal. That's called fasting slash starvation, and we would be in ketosis. In the winter, we would have been probably eating animals. Again, that's ketosis. So, you know, and especially if we were eating, you know, whole food in general, whatever you want to call that, like paleo, whole 30, whatever it is, that is a low carb diet most of the time because it's low glycemic. And again, a lot of the starches are resistant starches. So even when people say, oh, you know, this culture eats a high carb diet. Well, let's look at those carbs and let's look at the way they eat them and let's look at their, 
degree of fasting and you know caloric expenditure with exercise i mean it's a it's the recipe for disaster now with our ultra processed food we're sedentary we're not fasting we feel like we need to eat many meals a day at least three plus snacks we're uh, exposing ourselves to to blue light at night so we're overriding our circadian rhythm we're eating late at night which again overrides our circadian rhythm we're forcing ourselves to stay up because we're watching tv and eating and watching blue light and that's impairing our sleep which creates more inflammation puts you at greater risk for type 2 diabetes, heart disease, all those kinds of things. It also, when you don't have enough sleep, makes you fall back on those reward centers because you're sleepy and you make um, impaired choices. Um, you make, I guess, less sound choices. So you tend to just, when you're tired, you know, eat the junk food instead of having more willpower. You have that soda, the monster, the French fries, the whatever. And this is all just a recipe for disaster. We're the only species on the planet that actually starves ourselves of sleep. And <laughs> that's a weird one too. Um, every, like all the other creatures get as much sleep as they need. They go to bed when they're tired and they get up when they're not tired. But we do this thing where we stay up past the level of fatigue so we can watch some TV show and, and all this stuff. And it's, it's really a bizarre phenomenon. But again, this is, this is where our health is now at as a result of all this. But the new fad diet is not keto. The new fad diet is ultra-processed food, without <laughs> a doubt, and telling us that we need to eat all day, every day, that's the new fad diet. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the problem is that it's the bandwagoners out there that always hop on, you know, the next new fad diet that are giving keto the bad name um, because they're, they're using it just like they used Whole30, just like they used Paleo, just like they used all the other diets that have been out there, like the Mediterranean diet and the... Uh, Atkins and whatever else was out there. Um, you know, they, they hop on the bandwagon, they are all about it for a short period of time. And then they move on to the next thing. And what everyone is forgetting and exactly what you said, it's not new. Maybe the, the title of it is new. Keep calling it keto, ketogenic, whatever. Um, but the concepts are not new. And when I found the paleo diet, like what, 14 years ago now, um, mm -hmm. I loved it because of the concepts behind it, because it's going back to basically ancestral eating the way that we would have eaten when we didn't have all of this modern technology and processed food and modern farming that has, um, you know, put so many toxins into our food and, um, and just totally ruined the the nutrition of the soil yeah you know the funny thing though is you don't have to go back like you know 50,000 years 100,000 years you mm -hmm. can go back 80 years yeah and see that there was no GMO there was no non-organic there was no ultra processed food 
RBGH, RBST, antibiotics, artificial flavors, artificial sweeteners, artificial colors, glyphosate, xenoestrogens, all this stuff that wasn't in the food supply. It was just food and they right. ate butter and they liked it and they ate meat and we weren't told to eat low fat. We weren't told sodium was an issue. We weren't told cholesterol was an issue. And guess what? We were healthier. And it wasn't until Ansel Keys and like all that manipulated data, like uh, threw that out um, mm -hmm. where he was talking about saturated fat, fat and cholesterol being dangerous. And then uh, Nixon uh, passed through government um, uh, lowering the price of food. And that really, while it was supposed to help the poor, um, the food supply never went back. Like it, it, it was, everything was subsidized and instead the poor is incredibly unhealthy and eating the worst foods. Um, and it's just sad. It's just sad to look at the state of all of it now when again, like 80 years ago, it was radically different. You don't have to go back to caveman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I appreciate your viewpoint and I have a similar one. And I think, I think something that we both have in common is having this kind of broader viewpoint of how systems impact individual health. And that probably comes from, I know you have an MPH and so do I. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think maybe that comes from, you know, our population level research and um, education kind of shows us that this systems level thinking while it's really positive in some aspects, it really hurts us and others. Like, you know, when the government stepped in to regulate some of the food supply is when the food supply really started and, and the industrialization of it really started taking over and kind of ruining the nutritional value of the foods. While I'm definitely a proponent of public health, I work in public health, but I think some of this um, institutionalization of health practices in a way is, is bad. And I think um, like insurance is also another example of that. So really what I'm trying to get at is I think that individual ownership of your health practices, including nutrition, has to come back to the forefront. And for that to happen, um, we have to step away from relying on big systems to do these things for us. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned um, I'm libertarian and, and I'm very outspoken on some of these things. And it's funny you mentioned insurance because I worked in hospitals and nursing homes for 10 years and the degree of fraudulent practices, like, you know, the $500 bedpan and the, you know, the pills that get sent uh, home with these people and they just throw them out and, you know, they have their $5 deductible, but their $500 pills and all this stuff that goes on. It's, it's absurd. It makes you sick. And I, I wish that we actually got rid of insurance, literally just got rid of insurance, mm -hmm. maybe have like extreme catastrophic level insurance, but where hospitals had to compete against each other, where all this stuff went away um, of the fraudulent practices or the, the processes that don't need to happen. Um, like where, Oh, you can get 
12 weeks of this therapy, even though you only need one. And, but we're going to bill you for all 12 weeks because we need that revenue. I mean, that happens in nursing homes. That happens, uh, that kind of stuff, you know? And it's so frustrating, like you're saying, like there's just, it costs us all. And, and anyone who doubts that these systems aren't in place to stay in place for themselves, like self-preservation and follow the money trail, it's totally the case. It's not like nothing's in place to just benefit us. Like humanitarian efforts, like <laughs> this doesn't happen. Like things are in place to, to make money. And that's just the, at the end of the day, the way it is. And, and the insurance companies are making money. The hospitals are trying to make money. The food companies are trying to make money. The drug companies are trying to make money. It's all stacked against us. And we're trying to, keep ourselves healthy, but no one benefits from that financially. <laughs> the hospitals don't benefit from it. The food companies, the beverage companies, the drug companies, no one benefits from us just being healthy and like eating whole food and exercising and getting sunshine and, you know, meditating and all these things. No one benefits from that. Yeah. And, and that's the problem right there is that there is no value put on individual ownership of your health. So people personally don't value it. And also they just close their eyes and rely on somebody else to take care of it for them. And so I think, I think in a, in a positive note, I think that the healthcare system is seeing the value of personal health ownership now, and also starting to slowly move towards an integrative holistic approach to health. Um, with these things that you're mentioning, like sunshine and meditation and seeing the value in those things. Um, so hopefully within our lifetime, we'll see a shift. But again, it, it's, it all kind of comes down to individual ownership and responsibility. Uh, um, but most of that stuff is happening on the non-insurance side of the equation. And oh, absolutely. People are, are taking ownership where people you know, are saying like, well, let me, you know, go this, like you said, functional medicine, integrative medicine route where I'm going to look at my genetics, look at my labs, I'm going to be proactive and, and manage this with my, with my physician or naturopath or, or whoever. It's a very different paradigm than the authoritarian insurance reimbursed model where you just, you know, take the word of this doctor and say, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. and, you know, insurance gets their chunk. Yeah. Well, I guess that that's at least the light at the end of the tunnel is like people are seeking education for themselves and trying to go outside of the insurance model, which eventually, if it becomes popular enough, will, um, you know, decrease the need for systems like insurance. Absolutely. But you know, that's where like the power of like this podcast and podcasts like this, um, where people like you and I can be a voice and people can hear that. We're in a very different era now where people do have access to information where they don't have to just take the word of the authoritarian physician and they can look things up. Um, Certainly, it's it, it can be difficult on maybe having too much information sometimes, mm -hmm. but it is good that there is access to information and we can read uh, studies if we want to. We can 
listen to podcasts like this where, you know, you and I aren't making money off this. You know, we're just here to help people and we've helped ourselves live a better lives. And now we want to help other people. And that's, that's our desire. Uh, whereas there's just so much money being made from from all these other voices that are out there with their heavy marketing machines that that's really it's it's a loud voice to overcome but I think you know our voices may not be as loud but but we're gaining steam in in terms of our numbers and it's getting hard to deny absolutely this is why I started this podcast is so that there's a platform and a place for voices like ours. And this is really good, useful information. It's backed by science and can change people's lives. But because of the, the systems that are in place in our society, it makes it somewhat difficult to find this information. So I think we are part of the equation on how people will start to shift and take control of their own health and wellness. Exactly. We're, we're yeah. bio-curious. Yes. <laughs> and we're encouraging all of you listening to be the same way. I like to ask all of my guests a couple of questions. Sure. Um, so one is morning routines are huge in, in kind of the biohacking world and the wellness world. So I like to ask people, if they have a morning routine, and if so, what does your morning routine look like? I do have a morning routine. I do think I agree with you. It's it's the most important way to start your day and win your day. You definitely set the tone. Um, so, you know, first thing I do when I wake up is do some deep breathing exercises, just, you know, six deep breaths maybe, Um you know, it kind of relaxes me, especially if I've had to wake up to an alarm, like then I can kind of de-stress from that alarm. Um, and then I move right into uh, gratitude journaling and, and planning out my day. Uh, I also uh, try and get a walk in in the morning if hopefully it's there's a little bit of, of sunlight out, but Uh, I walk my dog and that's something I enjoy. And then I head to the gym. I work out for an hour with my trainer. I feel very accomplished. I love, I love doing that. I love working out at the beginning of the day because no matter how crazy the day gets and maybe how unaccomplished you might feel with your day, like if you knock that out first thing, it just gives you a sense of accomplishment. And so I really love that. And it also like is one of those things that if you build it in at the beginning, you can't remove it like at the end when you're too busy. So like yeah, I love that. myself to, to work out in the morning and like make that a staple as kind of the beginning of my day has worked out very well. So I work out like five to six days a week and it's just part of my routine. Um, and then I love to take a cold shower uh, right after my workout. I know some people think that you know, maybe that might impair uh, muscle gains to some degree, uh, reducing inflammation, those kinds of things. But for me, I just, something I switched to a while ago and I haven't seen it impair anything for me. And it just, it makes me feel super alert for like the next four hours. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But that's what works for me. And, um, and then I just, you know, I go right into my day and I, you know, I look at the, the plans I have for the day and I just attack that. I have my whole day calendared out, including rest time, like podcast time, um, unwind time, breathing time, you know, whatever. And most people think, oh, then when do you have time to work? I am very efficient when I work. And I work very long days, 14-hour days sometimes, 16-hour days sometimes. But I just do them in blocks. And then I unwind for certain blocks and get uh, creative, get a break, you know, do some breathing, do a little bit of walking, and then come back to it. And I can guarantee you that like when I'm working in those blocks, I'm way more efficient than most people who are just trying to work eight, 10 hours straight. Oh yeah. I've definitely noticed that as well and started um, working in a similar fashion to you a few years back. And, and a lot of people, you know, when you work in an organization, they notice like, how do you get everything done so quickly? (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. it's because I'm, I'm taking care of myself in the, in the not working times. And so I'm able to be really, really highly efficient and focused during the working time. So I love that you do that. Yeah. And, and those are the, those are the power words of the day is self care. And that's really the idea of, of biohacking. And um, I love that biohacking has actually evolved past like, you know, machines and, and IVs and, putting chips in our brain and all this kind of hardcore stuff. And now it's like gratitude journals and meditation and deep breathing and, (laughs) you know, cold plunges and, you know, things like that, because it it is, it's all about self-care. And, you know, even like me taking my dog for a walk or just petting my dog, you know, a human doesn't feel human unless we have six to seven touches a day just touching someone or hugging someone is powerful for how you feel, how connected you feel, how you feel about yourself. That's why like the most powerful punishment we can give someone is not even prison, but isolation, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just me petting my dog or, you know, giving someone a hug or, you know, having those kind of like taking time out during the day to like interact with someone on a, like a deeper level than, you know, hey, what's up? How's the weather? You know, kind of stuff. And like, hey, how are you? Is there a way I can help you? What's going on with you? I love that concept. And um, and I actually just wrote down that quote from you. <laughs> and I probably will mention it um, in the beginning of our podcast, because I think that that is really powerful, that a human doesn't feel human unless they get six to seven touches a day. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. You know, like when I was in uh, the nursing home, uh, it was amazing because they, they felt really isolated. They felt almost dirty and like people discarded them and, and didn't like touching them, you know, because they're just, they're old and they're diseased and they're in Mm -hmm. wheelchairs. And, and I would just, you know, put my hand on their shoulder and say, you know, Hey, Mrs. Smith, how are you doing today? And like, just to see, you could see their eyes change like just dramatically their face light up just everything like it meant the world to them and it started like making me think about how powerful that really is for all of us yeah 
I used to work in physical therapy and a lot of times it would be with people who are post-op from, you know, Mm -hmm. like total knee replacement, that sort of thing. A lot of elderly people. um, And I found the same thing that they were just so lonely and isolated because they didn't have family or anyone to have like connection with on a daily basis. So yeah, I think that that's really powerful. One other question that I wanted to ask you is, I know we've talked about so many amazing tips and tricks and biohacks and concepts about nutrition, Um, but if you could provide our listeners with just one piece of tangible advice that they could take right now and implement in their lives that would have the biggest impact on their overall wellness, what would that be? Wow. Um, The first thing that comes to mind, the most impactful thing for me was reading the four agreements. Hmm. Um, That was an incredible book for me. Uh, Really changed the way I thought about myself and treated other people. Um, One of the four agreements is um, never take it personal, you know, and so much of what we deal with is just a negative self view. And we think that all this negativity that we're getting is really how people feel about us, but they're projecting out, uh, their insecurities on us Mm. and people are just miserable and hurting And if we start to realize that we're surrounded by hurt people and hurt people hurt people, then it really can change the way we talk to ourselves. If you think about it, if if you let someone else talk to you like you talk to you, you wouldn't be their friend. (laughs) That's so true. We, we, We talk to ourselves horribly. The things we say and think to ourselves is terrible. So one of the things I'd certainly recommend is reading the four agreements. The other thing is doing affirmations and speaking to yourself kindly. And, you know, the next step beyond that is manifesting where you not only speak to yourself kindly, but you start talking things into existence. Like I will accomplish this. It's already done. And then that's when magic starts happening. When you start believing in yourself and start envisioning your success, that's when magic happens. But right now, most people are stuck in this cloud of negativity, thinking that everyone thinks all this terrible stuff about them and they believe it. But it's really just everyone's hurting around them. Yeah, it's something that has taken me probably my whole life to learn is that, you know, other people, like you said, are wounded. And that's sometimes where the, the meanness from other people comes from. It actually has nothing to do with you at all. It has to do with their own injuries. Um, So I, and I think it goes right along with biohacking because the first step in biohacking is you have to assess your environment. Part of your environment is your internal environment and a way to change that and make that healthier is to change your thoughts from negative to positive. And so I think that that certainly is powerful and and has a lot of utility for anyone. Well, there you go. 
I love yeah. your positivity. We're both positive. We are. <laughs> well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving up an hour of your time to chat with me. I really enjoyed our discussion. Um, if our listeners are interested in connecting with you or finding out more about you, um, where can they find you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I really enjoyed this as well. Um, I'm on Instagram uh, at zone halo Z O N E H A L O. And um, you can also look me up at seanwells.com S H A W N W E L L S. And um, yeah, I, I would love to uh, connect with, with any of your listeners and I'm really here to serve. And I think that's my purpose on this planet. And that's when I feel most aligned with who I am is when I'm teaching and I'm helping. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the BioCurious podcast today. If you found today's episode interesting, please feel free to leave a review. And also, I would love it if you took a screenshot of the episode and shared it on your social media so that others can find the podcast too. And as always, I love connecting with all of you and getting your feedback. So if you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please feel free to send me a direct message on Instagram. My handle is biocurious underscore Kayla. Looking forward to connecting with you and I'll see you next time. Thank you.